0: Seat, most of you, no, probably half of you. Moms, would you please stand up? I'd like to thank you, Moms. It's, it really is a shame that we only do this once a year. It should be a, probably a daily thing. But if Moms, if you'd stay standing, the rest of us, let's, let's go before the Lord and thank God for our Moms. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you. We thank you for the moms that you've placed in our lives. Lord, and specifically this morning, Lord, we thank you for the mothers that are here. And Lord, ask that you, that you strengthen them, that you encourage them. Lord, I pray that today they feel loved. They feel appreciated. Because Lord, we, where would we be without our mothers? And Lord, we just thank you for them. Lord, ask your blessing upon them today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again, moms. <clears throat> All right, take out your Bibles if you would. Open them up to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under a seat in front of you. Grab that. If you don't own a Bible, take that home with you. It's important to have a copy of God's Word to be in regularly, daily. Hebrews 12. If you have been a Christian for any length of time, probably even just a matter of until you shared your faith with one person, you have heard this probably numerous times. Well, if there really is a God, how can a God who is so good, how can bad things happen to good people? And quite honestly, we've probably asked that question ourselves. How can bad things happen to good people? There was a book that was even written back in the early 80s called When Bad Things Happen to Good People, and it was written by a Jewish rabbi. And what he basically came to the assumption of is God started this whole thing, but he's really not in control of anything. It's all happening outside of his control, and we, as the people who are living in it, really need to forgive God for not controlling things more. That is in complete contradiction to the word of God. We serve a God who is sovereign. We serve a God who is in control. We serve a God who has his hand on everything. So we go back to the question, why do bad things happen to good people? And the, the problem is, with that question, we are placing everything into two categories, bad and good. Bad people, good people. Bad things, good things. This morning we're going to look at a third category, not category bad, not category good, category God. Why do God things happen to God's people? And we're going to look at a section today that probably not many people really enjoy the topic of, and we're going to read it through first, and then go back and, and look at it. And I, Part of any inductive Bible study, if you've ever taken classes on how to, do, how to do an inductive Bible study, one of the first things that you're taught to do is look for a word that repeats. So let's see if we can find that word this morning. Okay. Hebrews 12, starting in verse 3. For consider him, Jesus, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which you have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, But he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Did you catch it? It's not hard, huh? in just those verses that we read nine times the word discipline is used and two more times in verse 11 it refers the word it referring directly to discipline 11 times discipline discipline and it's not on our favorite topic list is it None of us really like to look into discipline, but I want to challenge that this morning because I think the reason for that is because we look at discipline as one thing and one thing only, and that's punishment. That's the word that we would use if you're going to find a word synonymous with discipline would be punishment. But understand, this is a, a English translation of a Greek word. And that word that is used in the Greek language is paideia or paideo it's both it's used interchangeably here in the 11 or the nine times it's used Paidea, or paideo listen to the definition of paideia it means to provide instruction with the intent of forming proper habits of behavior Paidea is a broad term signifying whatever parents and teachers do to train correct cultivate and educate children in order to help them develop and mature as they ought. And here we see that the word that's translated discipline does not refer only to punishment. Absolutely, parents, when dealing with children, punishment is involved, there's no doubt. But there's all sorts of other things that go into the training and raising of children. This same word, paideia, uh, Paul used it, writing to, to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. It says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training, paideia, in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. The same word, paideia, is used, Acts 7, verse 22. Moses was educated, paideia, in all the learning of the Egyptians, and was a man of power and words and deeds. Paul, again, is being quoted in Acts chapter 22, verse 3. It says, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Sicilia, brought up in this city, educated, paidio, under Gamaliel. It has to do with education. It has to do with training. Yes, absolutely, discipline involves punishment, involves correction. But it's not exclusively that. It involves correction. Again, when a Christian sins, when we sin in our walk, after we come to Christ, when we sin, we still face punishment. However, the punishment is not for judgment. Jesus took all of that to the cross. He paid our judgment in full. The discipline we receive as Christians is for correction, we, God loves us too much to let us continue in this direction of sin in our lives. He knows what it will lead to. So he sends these corrective things to us. Same thing as we do as parents. There was a little boy who went to his teacher one day and he said, Mrs. Brown, I don't mean to scare you, but my dad said that if I don't start getting better grades, somebody's getting a spanking. Hopefully, that parent was talking to his son in that way because he understands that if he continues to blow off his grades, he continues to blow off school, not taking it seriously, it's going to have serious consequences down the road. So there's corrective action that needs to be taken. David wrote, Psalm 119, 67 and 68, understanding this, he said, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. I was walking, I was heading that direction, I was going, doing whatever I wanted before I was afflicted. But now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. What he's saying in this is... I was going my own direction. I thought everything was fine until your corrective hand came upon me. But now I see differently. Now I understand. And afterwards, he's even saying, Lord, send some more. Send some- I don't want to go. I want to stay here. I don't want to go to the right or to the left. I want to follow you. He saw the benefit of it. We need to understand that if there is sin in our life, God is not going to let us continue down that path. And we need to pray and we need to examine ourselves. We talked about this last week. We need to examine ourselves, examine our walk, because if we don't, the sin so easily entangles us. We get our feet caught up in it and we can't run the race set before us in this sin. We need to identify it and we need help in identifying it. Lord, search me. Show me if there's any way that is wicked in me. Show me that. I have such a tendency to cover my eyes when when it comes to examining myself. So God, you go through me. He loves us too much to continue to let us go down that. So often, and again, with children, just like little kids, when they're going to be punished, when they're going to get a spanking, it's like, oh, you don't love me. You don't love me. As a matter of fact, son, if your children are saying that, take them to Proverbs 13, 24. It says, if I don't spank you, it means I hate you. It means that if I allow you to continue to go on with this behavior, I don't love you. Proverbs 13, 24 says, You spare the rod, you hate your son. But the one who loves his child disciplines them diligently. God loves us. That's why he does this. That's why he won't allow us to continue in that sin. So discipline absolutely involves correction. But it also involves prevention. Not because you've done something wrong, but to prevent you from doing something wrong, to prevent you from going a certain way. I, 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 I'm one, i got to be honest, I, I, I like summers in Arizona, I know, I'm nuts, but I, I do, I really enjoy it, and one of the reasons why a lot of people are getting excited about the time that we're coming into is they love to go swimming, they love to spend time in the pools, and they love to do that, well, I, I have to be honest, one of the things that I hate about summers here is that there's hardly a week that goes by that you can't turn on the news or pull up a screen, and it talks about another child drowning. Because somebody didn't have a restrictive fence put around their swimming pool. Now, do people put fences around their pools because they hate their kids? No, it's because they love their kids. We put plastic covers over the electrical outlets because we love our children. Not because we want to restrict them. Because because we're disciplining them. No, it's because I, I don't want you to stick something in there that could hurt you. And God does the same thing with us. He restricts us. He holds us back. And we look at so many things that are around us, and we get upset with God. God, why am I still sick? Why did I lose my job? Why can't I get this job that I've, that I've been applying for? Why can't I? And God is saying, because I love you. I've placed this restriction around you. Because if you go this direction, it's not what's best for you. And we can fight that, and we can push against that. And like kids, if we learned more from God's preventative measures, we wouldn't need as many corrective measures. We just keep pushing and pushing and getting through and getting through, and then God's got to deal with us to correct us to get us back where we need to be. Paul understood this. And I mentioned, referred to this verse last week, but it's 2 Corinthians twelve ten. It says, therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, I am strong. I'm content when God restricts me. I'm content when God places a fence around me and won't let me go that direction. I might not like it, but I'm content there. His grace is sufficient. So discipline involves correction, it involves prevention, it also involves instruction. Obviously, specifically God's word, when he teaches us, when he speaks to us through his word and instruction, but there are also those lessons in life that we learn from, the lessons that we have to go through in which we learn in. Now, Again, just like when I was a child, I have to confess that I can't think right offhand of one lesson plan that my parents came up with or my teachers came up with that I liked very much. I got—I would much rather be outside playing baseball than inside writing my spelling words 25 times over and over and over and over again. But that was the lesson plan, and that's what I needed to do so that I could spell. <laughs> I might not have been a very good shortstop, but I could spell. I, God knows what it is that we need, and he sends these instructions, these lesson plans to us. And just again, as with parents, <laughs> the older I've gotten, the, the smarter my parents become. And the longer we walk with the Lord, the more we understand what he's doing in our lives, and the more it makes sense to us, these things that we have to go through. And it, you might say, fortunately, unfortunately, however that works out, we often learn the lessons far greater in affliction than we do in prosperity. And by the way, that's not God's fault. That's ours. God didn't design it that way. That's just the way we are. When things are going good, when things are going well, when we're in prosperity, I don't have time for God. I don't need things, but it's because it's all about me. Things are going great. I might give them the thumbs up every once in a while, but man, I'm sure not seeking them very hard. But when things are difficult, when affliction comes, we're on our face before God. Again, discipline comes, instruction comes, not only because of sin. Job, perfect example. Job was a prosperous man. Things were going very well, but in that he was also a righteous man. God allowed an incredibly difficult time in Job's life. Discipline that is far outdoes most of what any of us have gone through. Listen to what Job says in Job chapter 42. He says, starting in verse 1, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have declared that which I did not understand things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. I used to walk around and talk about you all the time, but there were things about you that I spoke of that I had no idea what I was talking about. I spoke of them, but I had no personal intimate knowledge of it. Hear now, and I will speak, I will ask, and you instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I retract and I repent and dust and ashes. Because of what I've gone through, I now see you. Before I had only heard of you, before I knew that you, but now I see you. Instruction. Again, some of the lessons are ones that are very difficult, are very hard. Understand this, though, about this whole discipline process, this whole education process, this whole instruction that we go through. It's a lifelong process. We continually go through it. One thing about our teacher, God, he's not going to let us graduate onto the next lesson until we get the one down that we're in. Taking the same course a couple times? Discipline. You know, I, I love how God does things sometimes and how he just shows you things. I was having coffee with a friend earlier this week and was sharing with him the fact that we're going to be covering this section. Discipline. And I said, it's, it's nine times in just these few verses the word discipline is used. And he said something that just as soon as he said it, it was like, oh, that's cool. And then I started thinking about it some more and more and started going over it in my mind a little bit more and just like, God, you are so awesome. Just something simple. I'll share it with you. A little slide of worship they could put up there. What does that word say? Discipline. Watch what one slight little change to the word does. Discipline. the discipline that we go through, gang, is because he's making disciples out of us. You know what discipleship is? The word that was used, that's back then when when Jesus had his disciples, they were called Talmud, And their whole goal in life was not to know what their teacher knew. It was to become who their teacher was. And isn't that what we want? Isn't that our desire, to become like Jesus? That's the whole process in our sanctification, is to become more and more like him. Guys, this isn't a game that we're in. This isn't a thing that we get to hit the refresh button all the time. Thank God for mercy. That's, that, that's new every morning. But this, this race that we're in, guys, this is serious business. This is, this is life and death. This is continued from what we were talking about last week. We only covered a couple of verses last week. This is a continuation of it. This race that is set before us, it's serious business. We need endurance to run this race. I, I came across a, a Navy SEALs website. I, the training that those guys go through it's unbelievable i'm sitting there watching it and i'm just i'm getting tired watching it they they go through the most intense training just in case they ever had to use it most of them never do but just in case just in case their very life depended on it at some point just in case somebody else's life depended on it at some point the training that they go through is intense intense they have some, one thing that, where they, they tie their hands behind them, their feet together, and they push them in a swimming pool in a weighted suit. They call it drowning training. Huh. And can you imagine, though, if, the, if they had an option? Hey, guys, today's drowning training. You want to do that or go golfing? That one of the amen, yeah, Everybody. One of the other things that they do is they run carrying a telephone pole over their head, like eight or ten of them, and they run. And one of the videos I was seeing, the guy's running along and he's throwing up while he's running. You want to do that today or sleep in? Yeah. God knows us. That's what we would choose too. But if we did that... If those Navy SEALs went golfing or sleeping in, instead of doing those things, they wouldn't be prepared for what they might face someday. God's not some capricious, impulsive, arbitrary, sadistic God who just wants to punish us and make our lives hard. He's a God who loves us, who loves us with a love that we can't even comprehend. And again, when we take this in context as to what he is talking about, we can see this discipline in a whole new way. We can understand why it is that we go through the things that we go through is because God is making disciples out of us. He's preparing us to run the race that he has set before us. Verse 3, again, back to our, our text in Hebrews. It says, For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. Look to him. Consider him. Remember last week we said, fix your eyes on Jesus. That's where we need to look. We need to be focused on him. The goal is to be like him. And it says, don't grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. That key word in that is not yet. Guys, there might be a time when our faith is stretched. The, the, these, these people that were reading this letter, hearing this letter, they faced the very real possibility that it would cost them their life for their faith. And, gang, right now, here today, we're pretty safe in that. But there might be a day very soon where we might have to make that choice. Not yet, so far. Pray it doesn't come, but just like the seals, they they pray that they never have to use that training, but if they ever did, be ready. He's saying, don't grow weary and lose heart. There's a time coming when it could get worse, and if you're tired now and you feel like giving up now, Jeremiah 12.5 says, if you have run with footmen and they have tired you out, how will you compete with horses? If you fall down in a land of peace, how will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? This race requires endurance. Today, a lot of it could be down the road even more. We need to be ready. So he continues, verse 5, And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you have been reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. You guys have forgotten this. Because you've bought into the lie of the enemy. You've heard him, you've listened to him, and you're listening to him instead of what God says. The enemy says, You're going through this tough time, some God. He doesn't love you very much if he's making you go through this. He's forgotten you, he's abandoned you, he's left you. The enemy wants you to buy into that because he knows if he does, he gets you down this path. But he's saying, You've forgotten. You've forgotten the exhortation, which is the encouragement, that God disciplines you because he loves you. We're told to avoid two things in this. Two things. First of all, don't regard it lightly, this discipline. Don't take it flippantly. Don't disregard it. If you have a New King James Version, it says don't despise it, which is another proper rendition of the word, despising it, hating it. It's quoting Proverbs 3.11 where it uses the word reject. How do we do that? How do we despise the the discipline of God rejecting it? Well, primarily by not seeing it for what it is. For looking at it as something totally different. And we do that in a myriad of ways, but one of the most popular ones is blaming somebody else for it. I'm in this because of you. (laughs) Most of the time, husbands, wives, that's the big issue. We point to each other, it's your fault, it's your fault. Problems in dealing with relationships, pointing at each other instead of saying, all right, Lord, this is part of the race you've set before me. This is part of my instruction. This is part of what you're doing in me. That's how we regard it lightly. And that only leads to anger, leads to bitterness. It leads to hostility towards God and towards each other. And when we do that, guys, the enemy wins The enemy gets a battle. So we can't regard it lightly. We need to understand where it's coming from. But it says also, don't faint. Don't grow weary. Take heart. Be encouraged. If you feel that it's more than you can handle, you lean on God's word that says he will not allow you to face anything more than you can handle. That his grace is sufficient to get you through. So we're not to despise. We're not to give up. He says, even in this text here, that some of the discipline even don't, don't get discouraged, don't get upset, even when it gets really serious. Notice he uses the word scourging, which is a proper translation. It's some discipline is extremely hard, is extremely difficult. And notice it says that he scourges every, every son, not just the bad ones not just the Jonas who God says go to Nineveh and they go the other way and they run from God and they run from the calling and they run from what God says and he sends some severe discipline, a three days in a fish's gut. Not just that. He scourges every son, even those doing well. We, on Wednesday nights, have been studying the life of Joseph, a man who, a man who... Lived a righteous life, who loved God, who, who did the right things. Yet he ended up sold into slavery by his brothers. He ended up being falsely accused, thrown into prison. 17 years! God dealt with him very seer- severely in his discipline, but in it and through it. He was made into what he needed to be to do, handle the task God had for him. Instead of giving up, instead of despising it, verse 7 tells us that we are to endure. It says, it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. This verse again, along coupled with the verses we just read, very clearly states that it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when we face discipline in our lives. It's not a matter of if we will be corrected for stepping out of line for sin in our life, it's a matter of when. And if, if you are here today and you can say, that's not me, I can sin all I want and I can get away with it all I want. I'm, I haven't, I, I, I'm living a life and I, I, know it, I know it is and God's not dealing with me harshly at all. Verse eight tells you that you are not one of his. That you are an illegitimate child. But if you are here today and you think that you are getting away with sin, you're not. You're not. You can either, you can either join us and, and be a child of God and be dealt with our sin today or you can deal with it in eternity in hell. Facing the wrath of God forever. But it's, it's simply a matter of, right here, acknowledging your sin, turning from your sin, turning repenting of your sin, turning to Jesus, receiving his free gift of salvation, and you too can be a child of God. There's nothing more required. There's nothing more than just receiving the free gift. You see, Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. You can face God's correction now or his judgment forever. It's your choice. But Jesus already paid for your judgment. It's a matter of just receiving him. But for the rest of us here, discipline is not a sign that God doesn't love us, that he's he's through with us, that he's turned his back on us. It's Again, it's the exact opposite. It's very clear to us in the text. It's because he loves us. Turn with me real quickly to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation 3, Revelation 3, 19. Jesus speaking, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, paideo, therefore be zealous and repent. Jesus says, I love you and because of that, I discipline you. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. Verse 21, he who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I have also overcome and sat down with my father on his throne. King, that's what's ahead of us. Verse 7 of Hebrews 12 tells us to endure. Jesus says, if you do, when you do, you will be invited to sit down with me on my throne. Wow. Verse 22, Revelation 3, he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Do you hear what he's saying to you today? Endure, persevere, push through, and you will sit on his throne with him. He says in verse 19 to be zealous, to be zealous. That means to have a passion. Do you have a passion to be like Jesus? Is that that your desire to be like him, to be his disciple, to grow more and more like him? It should be. But if it is, Jesus told us that we need to count the cost. We need to understand what that means. And though it is not Scripture, it certainly can be backed up by Scripture. One of my favorite writings is by a man named G.D. Watson, and I've quoted from it before. It's called Others May, You Cannot. And listen to what he says about this. It says, If God has called you to be really like Jesus, he will draw you into a life of crucifixion and humility. God's call will put such demands of obedience on you that you will not be able to follow other people or measure yourself by other Christians. At times, he will let other people do things which he will not let you do. The Holy Spirit will put a strict watch over you with a jealous love. He will rebuke you for the little words and the feelings or for wasting your time. So make up your mind that God is an infinite sovereign and has a right to do as he pleases with his own. He does not owe you an explanation of these or these mysteries. But if you give yourself to be his child, he will wrap you up in a jealous love and give you the precious blessings for those who belong heart and soul to him. Settle it forever, then, that you are to deal directly with the Holy Spirit. It is his option to tie your tongue or to chain your hand or to close your eyes in ways that he does not seem to use with others. And when you are so possessed by the living God that your heart delights over this peculiar, personal, private, jealous guardianship and management of the Holy Spirit over your life, you will have found the vestibule of heaven. Now we like to skip to that last sentence, finding the vestibule of heaven. But understand what that means, what that requires. That means, God, you're in control. I give it all to you. I trust in you to take care of it. No matter what that means. No matter what (laughs) discipline. Discipline. No matter what that entails. I submit to you, God. And that's what our text, if we go back to Hebrews 12, says. Verse 9. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? It only makes sense. It only makes sense that we submit to him. That we we come under him completely and say, All right, have your way, Lord. For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our own good so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Tom Landry, the former coach of the Dallas Cowboys, was quoted as saying, the job of a coach is to make men do what they don't want to do in order to be what they've always wanted to be. Now, that's a great quote. And that's, that's so true when it comes to dealing with athletes and, and dealing with, with students like we've talked about before. But the same is true with us. We need to be willing to let God do in us and make us do things that we don't want to do so that we can become What we want to become. Do you desire holiness? You should. That should be the the passion and the desire for all of us. God's word says, Be holy, for I am holy, because He tells me to, and because I want to be like Jesus. Holiness should be the top, top of my priority list. Do you want to have a life full of the fruit of righteousness? We should. It tells us that, you know, we trusted, we submitted to our coaches growing up, our fathers growing up, we submitted to their discipline, their pushing, their training in their limited understanding of things. I I admit, I my goal as a dad is to be the best possible dad I can be, to raise up godly, healthy children. But I fail miserably all the time because the Bible says, in my flesh there dwells no good thing. Even at my best. But God, but God, the all-powerful, all-knowing, the one who owns everything, the one who is incapable of evil, who is only good, but God disciplines us for our own good. He knows what's best for us. And it says, so that we may share his holiness. Now, One thing that I do love about this section that we just read is the fact that it relates right to me as a human being and should be right to you in your humanity. It says, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful. I don't know about you, but there's times when I've I've heard sermons on this before and even reading certain sections of scripture where I'm thinking, I'm going through a trial. I'm going through something really tough right now, and I'm supposed to be joyful, and I'm not and here it says that it seems not to be joyful when we're in the throes of it God understands us God understands us he under, just like again when with a child going through some correction what child is there that says hey dad make sure you get that wrist in there really good I'm really looking forward to this spanking we don't look forward to that correction. I, I, I've told you before, I played basketball growing up in high school and in college, and the further along I got, the more competitive the coaches and the teams I played for were. And if you've ever played basketball, you know what a suicide is. You start on one end of the uh, basketball floor, and you run to the free throw line and back. You run to midcourt and back. You run to the free throw line and back. You run to the end and back. And you have only a certain amount of time to do it in. And if one guy on the team doesn't make it, you'll yeah, all run again. I hated suicides. Hated them. But they were done for our own good. Yes, there were times when they were done for correction. The night before, we didn't play with all of our, all of our effort. And boy, we ran a lot of those the next day then for correction. But the vast majority of them were for instruction, teaching my body strengthening my lungs. The coach knew what was ahead of us. That's why he did it. It wasn't, again, punitive. It wasn't because he hated us. It wasn't because we had nothing better to do. It was because he wanted to bring the best out of us. And the same is true for discipline in our lives. It doesn't seem pleasant at the time. It doesn't seem joyful when we're going through it. Not one of those suicides was joyful. Not one. But every one of them benefited me. And it prepared me. And it it trained me. And it goes on to say, yet those who have been trained by it, trained by it. It prepares us for what lies ahead. We talked about this last week. The course that's laid before us. The race that is set out ahead of us. God designed the course. He knows what's ahead of us. We don't. He knows what is going to be required for us to complete that portion of the course. We don't. So he allows us to go through things. He makes us go through things. He forces things into our path that we need to go through now to prepare us for there. None of us want to get there and not be ready. We don't want to get there and not be prepared. But not only for the race that is set before us now while we're drawing breath on earth, but for eternity all that we go through here is preparation for eternity. This is, just a, this is just a breath here. This is just a 50, 60, 70, 80 years here. It's eternity there. And it's going to be glorious. It's going to be magnificent. It's going to be beyond our comprehension as we are now. We can't even comprehend what it's going to be like. It's going to be amazing. But it's going to require everything that we, that we gather here to go. We want to be prepared there. All discipline for the moment doesn't seem to be joyful. And I don't want to pass over that too quickly because I know that there are some people here today. I know because odds tell me that, but also because I read prayer requests, that some of you are in the midst of that time of discipline, that time of training, that that time that is far more difficult than others. It's not just your daily grind. It's not the the trials that we face day to day. It's serious. It's, It's more than you feel that you can carry. And you're hearing me and you're saying, I understand what you're trying to tell me, but I can't do it. I can't face this. I don't disagree with the overall concept, but I can't. I can't continue in this. If you're not there today, you more than likely will face something like this at some point. And it's important that we understand something. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 11. We've talked about the discipline and the why But here's the how. Matthew 11. Many of you know this. It's important that we see it. Understand it. Let it sink deep within us. Verse 28. Jesus says, Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We're told, last week we talked about fixing our eyes on Jesus. We just read earlier, consider him. Jesus here says, learn from me. Learn from me, we're to watch him, we're to to seek him, we're to be focused on him. But he says, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Look down, if you would now, chapter 12, Matthew, verse 20. Here, Jesus is, is showing that he is fulfilling what was written in Isaiah 42. It says, a battered reed he will not break off, and a smoldering wick he will not put out. Until he leads justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles or the nations will hope. Again, maybe you're here today and you are hanging on by a thread. You are that reed that is talked about here. That you've been been broken off and you're just hanging on by a thread and flapping in the wind. And you're just waiting for God to just come across and just break it off completely. He won't do that. He will come along and nurture you. Maybe you're that you just the flame is completely out and there's just a little smoke coming off of the wick and that's all and you're just waiting for him to come along and extinguish it the rest of the way. He's not going to. That's not his heart. His heart is to fan that flame back. And it says that in His name the nations will hope. In His name. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. This picture, this strong tower, running into it and being safe. Everything's closing in around. The enemies are closing in. The things just seem that there is no chance of victory. In the strong tower, you now have the vantage point. Their spears can't reach you. In his name. When Moses asked God, what is your name? God said, my name is I Am. Well, in the Gospel of John, Jesus personalized that so much and and gave us so much framework around that. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the vine. You are the branches. Abide in me and you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I am that vine that gives you life. Jesus said, I I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the resurrection and the life. And he said, I am the good shepherd. Basically what Jesus is saying, summing this all up, is no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, no matter how you feel that you can't go on, Jesus is saying to you right here this morning, I am whatever you need. I am whatever you need in the situation that you're in. I I get asked the question a lot as a pastor, and any of you that are in ministry or, or have people close to you that are going through a difficult, difficult time, you get asked the question, why is this happening to me? And I have to tell you, I don't know. I don't know. But I know who does. I know who does. And by the way, he doesn't owe you an explanation as to why. He might give it to you. He might not. But what I can promise you is if you turn to him, if you focus on him, he has promised something to you. Back again to Matthew 11. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light yeah, pastor, I know, I've I've heard that verse before, but my burden isn't light. It's not easy. Well, I can tell you, based on the word of God, that if that is the case where you are right now, it's because you're pulling too hard. You're pushing against it too hard. Jesus doesn't say that he'll change the burden. What he said is, take my yoke upon you, which means he's yoked with you. And just like the picture of two oxen yoked together, if one is really struggling and the other one is just walking along, it means that one is pushing too hard, is out ahead of the other. Jesus said, learn from me. Let me do the heavy lifting. Let me do the pushing. You just watch. Come alongside me. They'll do this together. But let me do the heavy lifting. Let me do the heavy pushing He promised that he will never leave us or forsake us, that he will never allow us to go through this alone unless we choose to walk away from him. He said, I'm right here with you. Yeah, it's a tough lesson. Discipline is tough sometimes. The instruction is difficult. But what a tutor we have. What a God we have, amen? Well, we're going to celebrate communion this morning where we remember what he did for us on the cross. And as our worship team comes up and our ushers come forward to distribute the elements, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Oh, Lord, we are, we are amazed by you. And Lord, as we reflect on this section of your holy word, Lord, it, we can't help see your hand in our lives, even in the difficulties that we face. And Lord, I pray that each one of us would be able to see this in a clearer view today. That we understand that you, in your discipline, are making disciples out of us, preparing us for what is ahead. And Lord, if there is any sin in our life, that we have not repented of. Lord, I pray that you would make that clear to us because, again, we are so capable and apt of, of, of guarding our eyes and not seeing it. Lord, reveal it to us. And Lord, of that sin right now, we repent. We turn away from that sin and we turn back to you. Lord, we remember that regardless of what we go through, no matter what it is, it's because you love us. Give us endurance. Lord, we submit to your will. We want to be more like you, Jesus. We thank you for your love. And Lord, now as we celebrate communion together, we remember what you did. We remember the price that it cost that you paid in order to have this relationship, in order to have the relationship with you restored. And Jesus, we thank you. We praise you. We give all glory and honor to you. In your name we pray. Amen. If the the ushers now are going to pass out the elements, remember as the trays go by, there's two cups, one inside the other. Grab both as they go by. The bottom cup has the bread in it. The top has the juice. Grab both as they go by. Marvelous mystery! How the Creator of the universe would love us, sinful man, ones who willingly disobey Him, turn our backs on Him, would love us so much that while we were yet sinners, He would die for us. What a marvelous mystery! On the night that our Lord was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to the disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner after supper, he took the cup and he blessed it And he gave it to the disciples and he said, take and drink. This is my blood shed for you, poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus, we do remember you. We remember what you did on our behalf. Lord, that you paid a price that you didn't owe because it was a price that we could never pay. Lord, you died in our place. You took our sin upon yourself so that we could be with you forever. Lord, we are eternally grateful. Lord, we are amazed by you. Amazed by your love. And Lord, our prayer is that our lives would reflect that. Lord, that our lives would be worthy of that calling, that, Lord, we would be so filled with your Spirit and so filled with the joy of you that we can't contain it within ourselves and we have to tell the world around us about you. Lord, go before us now. Bless the week ahead of us, Lord. Use us in, in powerful ways for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you'd all please stand, we have one very quick closing song to praise the Lord together again before we head out. Put your hands together, Mom.
1: If you put your hands in Jesus' put your life in Jesus' hands, I should say, you have victory today, amen. That you sing after me. Here we go. Hail Jesus, you're my King.
2: Hail Jesus, you're my King.
1: Your life frees me to sing.
2: Your life frees me to sing.
1: I will praise you all my days. I will praise you all my days. Perfect in all your ways. Perfect in all Sing your it out! Ways. Hail Jesus, you're my Lord.
2: Hail Jesus, you're my Lord.
1: I will. Jesus reigns and proclaim that Jesus reigns sing hail, hail.
0: forget we have the newcomers dinner this friday if you're new we'd love to bless you with a night dinner and you can ask all sorts of questions and it's just a great time sign up for that vbs please stop by the table on your way out and moms take the rest of the day off god bless you have a great day